Shabbat Shalom. We are in the book of Matthew still, chapter 16. This is lesson 47. Remember last week, Yeshua asked his disciples who the Son of Man is. And I want to read it again. We'll be in this passage for a while here. It says, when Yeshua came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Son of the living God. You know, last week we talked about the deity of Messiah. And you remember, I even started the message out by saying, you know, the deity of Messiah was something that was absolutely not negotiable for me. And I know for a fact that the rest of the elders of Sarshalom feel the same way, or they wouldn't be elders. Yeshua is deity. He's the son of the living God, just as it's stated here. And we may not understand that relationship because it, God's putting it in terms that we can understand. But to understand the relationship between the Father and the Son is just something we're not capable of doing. We said that it was the realization of this fact that separated those of Yeshua's kehilat and those who are not. Those who are of the kingdom of God will recognize that Yeshua is the Son of the living God, that He's deity, that He is the Messiah. Well, as as often is the case, it turned out to be a timely message because sure enough, there was a visitor who emailed me before the day was out trying to convince me that Yeshua was not deity. You know, you know after being 20 years in the Messianic movement, did he really think he was going to tell me something new? <laughs> See, I've heard all that stuff. I've read books on all that stuff. And guess what? It didn't move me. I guess he didn't hear me say that it wasn't negotiable for me. Let me just clarify what non-negotiable means. It means I won't argue the point. It means that if you don't believe that way, you're not going to make it here. It means that if I find out or you start to talk that way around this community, You'll be cut off, carrot, from the community. It's not negotiable. You see, for me, it's really easy. 25 years ago, I called on Jesus. Because that's the only name I knew. I said, Jesus, I need your help. And he saved me, and he helped me, and he healed me. And you know, no one told me to pray to the Father or that Yeshua wasn't deity, so I just called on Jesus you see, no one told me that he wasn't deity until much later, and thank God. Because by the time they told me, I knew from my own experience that he was the Son of God. You see, it, it was extremely timely for another reason. Because someone came to me immediately following the message. Quite disturbed because she had gotten an invitation to a meeting where where there was a, somebody local speaking. And I'm not going to mention his name in the message. If you want to know his name, I'll be happy to share it with you after service. But I'm not going to put it on TV. But he taught 
in, in this meeting that Yeshua wasn't deity. He was just a prophet, just the Messiah, not deity, just a man. He also taught that if you say Lord or Adonai, you take the Lord's name in vain. And to accomplish his teachings, he twists the Hebrew to make his point. And so if you're just coming into the movement and you don't know Hebrew, you have nothing to discern whether he's speaking truth or not. Listen, folks, if you get invited to a meeting where this guy is speaking, and if you want to know his name again, you can ask me after the service. Don't go. And if you do get invited and you do get there by mistake, don't listen. You know, there are people within this community who are inviting them to these meetings. These kinds of teachings are not just bad. They will separate you from the Messiah. And if I find out, like I said, that you're teaching or you believe that Messiah is indeed, it will definitely separate you from this place. You'll be cut off because it's not negotiable. And I'm telling you because I love you. Listen, friends, no matter how wonderful the teacher sounds, if he doesn't have this one fact right, then run as fast as you can run. Don't listen to a thing he has to say because any house that's built on that foundation will not stand. Listen, how can the rest of his teaching be any good if his foundation is bad? Because you know something? He'll teach, and at the core of his teaching, everything that he teaches will be tainted by this one fact, if that's his foundation. Let me say, if you're a teacher, what you believe will be at the core of everything that you teach. Let me give you an example. I believe Yeshua is deity. It's at the core of, what every, of everything that I teach, everything that I say, even in what I imply without saying And I prove it as I go through Scripture. I believe the Torah is valid for our lives. And you live out those commands of God through relationship with the Spirit, through walking through life by the leading of the Spirit of God. And you hear that at the core of every message. And if it's not stated, it's implied. Well, if someone's core is that Yeshua is not deity, you're going to be indoctrinated by everything that he teaches. Because it's at the core of what he believes. And it will come out in everything that he teaches. And let me say one more thing. And I say it because I love you. And I want you to be a part of KSS. If you're invited to a meeting by someone who left here. Who's no longer coming here. Remember this. There's a reason they left. They left or were asked to leave because they didn't agree with our bylaws and our statement of faith. So if you're a member here and you do agree with our bylaws and statement of faith, why would you want to go listen to someone who doesn't? Amen? Because they're going to teach things that will actually separate you. And you won't know it until you're separated. You won't come really think about it till you are. So understand, in this house, Yeshua's deity. He's deity in all the world, whether you realize it or not. And I've said many times before, his relationship with the Father is something that our limited minds can't comprehend. So rest in what Yeshua has done for you, and you'll never go wrong. Amen? It is the revelation that Yeshua is the Son of God that separates his kingdom from the rest of the kingdoms of this age. And 
I'm going to show you that today. We get that if we just read a little bit farther today. Today I want to show you how we come up with that. Peter, after Yeshua asks him who the Son of Man is, he pipes up and he says, You are Messiah, the Son of the living God. And listen to what Yeshua says to him. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but but by my Father in heaven. So Yeshua says to Peter, blessed are you. And we've looked at this word for blessed before in the Hebrew. It's the word ashray. And it means happy, content, secure. In other words, Yeshua is saying that understanding this revelation from the Father that Yeshua is the Messiah and the Son of the living God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, makes You blessed, secure, content, and happy. You see, this is a revelation that you can only receive and accept if you've been touched by the Spirit of God because it's foolishness if you haven't been. This must be witnessed to you by the Spirit of God, by the Father. What does he mean by blessed? Well, If we look at where Yeshua uses this word blessed in the book of Matthew, it's only used of those who are part of the kingdom of God. The fact is, of the other nine places this word is used, eight of those are in the Sermon on the Mount, where Yeshua is describing the residence of the kingdom of heaven. Our English word blessed is used elsewhere in our Bibles, but in those places... It is the equivalent of the Hebrew word baruch and not ashray. So that means that this Hebrew word ashray, or as we translate it, blessed, is used by Yeshua exclusively in describing those who are in his kingdom. Yeshua says this in the book of Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed, happy, secure, and content are those who are pure in spirit, Poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's exclusively used in Matthew of those who will be members of the kingdom of heaven. And if we consider that, we could say that Yeshua is telling Peter, blessed are you because this revelation ensures you a place in the kingdom. That this revelation, not given by man but by the Father, makes you blessed, happy, secure, and content member of the kingdom of heaven. And in confirmation of this, we read this in verse 18, And I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build... My church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I want you to understand there's a wordplay here that we don't really see in the English. He says that you are Peter, and the word for Peter is the Greek word, I put it up here, Petros. Petros. It means a piece of rock. It's a name of Peter. And then he says, on this rock, I will build my kehelot, or what we call, what we've translated in our Bible's church, and we'll speak about that in a moment. But the word for rock here is different. 
than the word Petros. It's the Greek word Petra. And that means a rock, a cliff, a ledge, a projecting rock, a large rock, a large stone. Now the difference in these words is gender, Petros being the male and Petra being the female. Petros is most often used in other Greek writings of small stones. Petra of a large immovable rock or a cliff. And so Peter is named after a small stone and Yeshua says on this rock I'll build my kehilat. On this large stone I'll build my kehilat. And we don't see it this distinction in our Bibles because we only have the word rock. But understand that it's there in the Greek. So if Peter is the small stone, then what large rock is Yeshua referring to? You see what I'm saying? If it were Peter, I think Matthew would have wrote, your name is Petros, and on Petros I'll build my kehilat. But he didn't. Because... He knew Peter wasn't the foundation stone. So what is the rock? Well, let's look to Peter because he understood. Let's go see what Peter has to say about stones. If we look at what Peter has to say, we might find out. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Messiah Yeshua. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, a stone that causes men to stumble. Now Peter uses different words for stone in here, but I think that we can make the comparison. We can get the gist of what he's saying. We can still come up, compare these two passages. Peter tells us that as we come to the living stone, Yeshua, he tells us that we then become living stones as well. So it's through our faith and our belief in Yeshua, the capstone, the foundation stone, that we become building stones as well. And in this scenario, Peter states that we're the smaller stones. Yeshua is the capstone, the foundation stone. And we become these building stones by putting our trust and our confidence in him. So since we know that he learned this from the Messiah, with that understanding, we should be able to understand that Yeshua is saying that Peter and the rest of us as well are the smaller stones. And when he says, on this rock, Petra, I will build my kehilat, he's referring to himself. And putting trust in this revelation from the Father that he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That makes us stones as well. At least, I, I don't know anybody that I could say is part of Yeshua's kehilat that doesn't believe that. Do you know anybody? I don't think so. If we read just a few verses farther in Matthew, I think it'll even be, make even more sense. Listen to what verse 21 says. From that time on, Yeshua began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer 
many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Yeshua turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Yeshua calls him not the foundation stone. What does he call him? A stumbling stone. And the word that's used there is the Greek word scandalon, a movable stick, a trigger, a trap, a snare, a rock which causes stumbling. So could Yeshua be referring to Peter as the foundation stone? I think not. Because let's look at Peter. For all that he did for us and all the spreading of the good news that he did, Matthew goes out of his way to show us he's a human He was at many times more of a movable rock, a little stone, than one that stood firm. And he showed us this when Yeshua, when he walked on the water to Yeshua and sunk, when he denied Yeshua three times, and even later when he had to be corrected by Shaul. You see, Peter was an apostle, yes, but a man with the same frailties that we have. No, it's Yeshua who's the foundation. It's the Son of God with us that is the foundation. It's the Messiah that's the foundation. And when the Father witnesses that to us, we too become stones that God can use to build a kehilat of Yeshua. And if you don't believe that, you probably won't fit into the building that the Father's building. You'll not be a witness for Yeshua either. Now, the next thing that we should look at, and the next thing I want to look at today is another controversial thing. It's this word church, and it's the word ekklesia in the Greek, and I put the meaning up here. It means an assembly, any type of assembly. And in the Septuagint, it's used as the assembly of the Israelites in the wilderness. The word ekklesia is used only twice in the Gospels. Here, and in Matthew 18. And it's a word that I want you to see just means assembly. It has no religious significance. It can be a gathering of almost anyone, a union meeting, a political meeting, a riotous mob. You can see from the definition in the Greek manuscripts that it's used of the assembly of Israelites in the wilderness. That was the ecclesia. Let's read the rest of the definition because it goes on. An assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. You see, what, it, what happened to it is it became associated with the meeting place and the meeting of Christians. This because of these two uses in the book of Matthew and some of its uses in the, in the book of Acts, where, the, where it's used 107 times. But because at that, I want you to understand, at the time of the writing of the gospel and those letters, it meant assembly. It was not church. Let's read what the Encyclopedia Britannica has to say of this word. The Greek word ekklesia, which came to mean church, was originally applied in the classical period to an official assembly of citizens. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the term ekklesia is used for a general assembly of the Jewish people, especially when gathered for religious purposes, such as hearing the law. In the New Testament, it's used in, of the entire body of believing Christians throughout the world. You see, here's the problem with this word, church. 
The problem comes in when the translators of the Bible translated this word church instead of assembly. When they did that, they obscured the meaning of the text and made it sound as if Yeshua had started something brand new. Oh, here's something new. The church. And something that I might add excluded the Jewish people as we're going to see. So instead of being grafted into the assembly of Israel, to the nation of Israel, to the house of Israel, we have a new entity. The church. And of course, it doesn't take much of a reading of the Bible to understand this runs contrary to the word of God. Let me show you just how thorough and how bad a translation this is. Whenever the word ecclesia refers to an assembly of believers, it's translated church. However, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 30, listen to this. When Paul wanted to appear before a crowd, but the disciples would not let him, even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. That word for assembly there is ecclesia. Why didn't they translate a church there? Let's look at another one, just a little bit farther down in verse 38. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press the charges. If, there's, if there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. Here we have a riot, speaking of a legal assembly, and it's the same word, ecclesia. Why wasn't it translated church there? You see, if we have a riot, it becomes assembly. If it's speaking of believers, we have church. So what we have is an inconsistent translation of the Bible that separates us from the root of the faith and the plan of God. The plan of God is to engraft those who put their faith in Messiah Yeshua, those from the nations, into the covenant community of Israel. The whole plan of God is set aside in the mind of God's people with this careless translation of the word ecclesia. I want to look at another careless translation as long as we're on careless translations, and it's this word synagogue. It says... A person, specifically a Jewish synagogue, the meeting or the place. Uh, a Jewish synagogue, by analogy, a Christian church, an assembly, a congregation, a synagogue. Here we have another assembly, and it's called synagogue. And this time, we all know that when it's used in our Bibles, it speaks of a Jewish meeting place. So because of the translators, we have synagogue, a Jewish meeting place, and we have church, a Christian meeting place. This too happens in part because of the translation. The word synagogue is used many times in the gospel and throughout the book of Acts as a meeting place for Jewish people. Shaul goes into the synagogues, as was his custom, we're told, to teach. But when we get to a place where the word synagogue refers to a meeting of disciples of Yeshua, all of a sudden it becomes something else. Let's look at what it becomes in James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, the Lord of glory with respect of persons? If 
For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and godly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. You see, the word there for assembly is synagogue, if it comes into your assembly. And so when you read your Bibles again, you have the separation from the Jewish people and the disciples. We have a new entity, the church. Problem is, that would have never entered the minds of the disciples or Yeshua. So I think you should be starting to see where the Christian church still goes astray in their understanding of the plan of God in this area because they pick up their Bibles and unless they're busy looking at the Greek, looking up the Greek words, they miss the meaning of the text. So if not a separate entity, the church, then what does Yeshua mean here by assembly? What does Matthew mean by the word ecclesia? Why would he use that choice of words? Well, you probably heard it in the synagogue when the Greek was read in, refer in reference to the assembly of Israel. However, we can see what it meant at the time in the Bible, in, 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 in its use. But there's another place where Matthew tells us about Yeshua's assembly. He doesn't use the word ecclesia, but he tells us about Yeshua's assembly. Let's read that. Matthew chapter 8, in verse 8. Then the centurion, centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Yeshua heard this, he was astonished, and he said to the, those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I tell you, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua tells us there's going to be a great assembly of those who have faith in him. It will be a great feast. It will be the same great feast that will be attended by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who never even heard the word church. Peter speaks of the assembly as well. We can see the assembly elsewhere. Again, it's not the word ecclesia, but we'll see it. Listen to this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter tells us here that we as believers are a chosen people, a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And so the church is a holy nation, right? Wrong. Not at all. As we've seen in the scriptures, there's no separate entity called church. The Bible defines the Bible. Let's look at where the only other usage of this phrase, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, in all of the Bible. And it's in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Listen to what it says. Now if you hear my voice and keep my covenant, 
then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Ooh. So, Stan, could this, speaking of the Israelites, could we, could we be a part of the traditional, the, the, the nation of Israel? Is that what he means by the word ecclesia? We're a part of the nation of Israel? Well, yes, it can. That's what Romans is all about. Romans chapter 11, it's all about. Let's just read a little bit of it. In verse 17, it says, If part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over the branches. You see, we've been grafted into the olive tree, which is Israel. We don't replace Israel, but we've been grafted in. We're fellow heirs with God's people. The assembly Yeshua speaks of is not church. It's the ecclesia, the children, the covenant community of Israel. That's what we are a part of. And sadly, the translators of our Bibles have misled us. Whether it was on purpose or by ignorance, I cannot say. I'm not the judge of those things but I can see the result of their work. And what it has done is separated us from the Jewish people, setting up an us-and-them mentality, and even worse, it separated us from the root of our faith. And I thank God that in these last days, he's in the mood to restore these things, to restore the truth to us and to his people as well.